good morning, brothers and sisters. It is a joy to be with you all this morning. Thank you, Susan Campbell, for uh, sharing with us uh, this morning about what's going on in the uh, Blue Ridge Pregnancy Center. I am um, just really, really glad to be here with you this morning and uh, just have this opportunity to look at God's word as we reflect on the sanctity of life. Um, thank you to all who prayed for the group that went down to Florida at the conference. Uh, got a lot of texts and emails from folks that just responded to the email that I sent out requesting prayer. Listen, church, prayer is a necessity. Uh, so when we ask for prayer, it's not just a nice thing to do. Uh, we really mean it. We want you to pray for for us. We want you to pray uh, on our behalf. And so uh, we had a great time. Got back, uh, I don't know, 9.30 or so last night. Um, I was really glad to be back in my own house with my kids and my beautiful bride. Uh, Brandon is a handsome chap, but I prefer my roommates a little more petite. And uh, I, uh, I really like to be with my wife. So... Um, but yeah, we had a great time. So if you would, join me in James chapter 2. I'm going to look at verses 14 through 26. This is going to be more of our anchor text. I'm going to look at a lot of passages this morning, but James 2, 14 through 26 will uh, really be the thrust of the message as we seek to look at God's word today. James 2, 14 through 26. I'm going to read these verses. I'm reading from the ESV. We have some copies in the back. If you need one, help yourself. Grab one of those. Uh, that's our gift to you. Starting in verse 14, would you hear the word of the Lord? For what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith, that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works? When he offered up his son Isaac on the altar, you see that faith was active along with his works. And faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Let us go to the Lord and ask him for his help as we seek him today. Father, we thank you so much for your kindness. We thank you that today we get to look at your word. We get to study your scriptures and we get to see what you have to say about abortion. We get to see what you have to say about the sanctity of life. We get to see what you have to say about our only hope in Jesus Christ alone. God, you are good to us. 
We praise your name for this opportunity. Would you help us, your spirit work in and through your word to teach us, to make us, to give us what we're not. By your grace, for your glory, in Christ's name, and God's people said, amen. So today, as we talk about the sanctity of life and the grotesque sin of abortion, I want to begin by addressing those that who already feel guilt and shame. As your pastor, I know your stories. I know that there are some within our membership that have participated in the sin of abortion. I know that's a part of your story. I also know that there are likely others that are not a part of this membership or maybe some that are but have not shared the fact that they have participated in the sin of abortion. As Susan shared earlier, there are some national stats that support this thought. Overall, about one in four women in the U.S. will have an abortion by the time they're 45 years old. From that number, one in three women regularly attended church, called themselves Christians when they had an abortion. 52% of women who attend a Christian church says that no one knows about their abortion. And these stats don't even take into consideration the men that likely participated as well whether that be encouraging someone to have an abortion, driving, paying for that abortion. So church, I know this topic may be more difficult for some than others, but brothers and sisters, let me remind you that God's word does not warrant avoidance of hard topics because they make us uncomfortable. Rather, we are to seek God's word and what he says as he conforms us and makes us into the people he's created us to be. And as we look at his word, we see that abortion is indeed a horrible, horrendous sin. We see that it is indeed sinful, a sin that is a direct offense against the imago Dei. It is a sin that is a direct opposition to the blessing of God. In Scripture, we read that children are a blessing. They're a blessing. And to deny a blessing by murder, is sinful. God's word tells us that abortion is indeed murder. I mean, that's the truth of God's word, and we will look at that later. But while this is true, and it should be taken seriously, we must remember one thing. Scripture never says that abortion is the unpardonable sin. It never says that. There is freedom and forgiveness in Christ, in Christ alone. See, the Scriptures remind us that all who repent of their sins, abortion included, and believe in Jesus Christ as their substitute are forgiven. Forgiven. Listen, for all who are in Christ, who are hidden in him, by faith in Jesus, in Jesus alone, 
It's as if your abortion never even happened in front of God. You're wrapped in robes of righteousness that have been given to you by Jesus. It's an alien righteousness, imputed, given to you, not something you've earned. See, because of Christ's perfect obedience that led him to the cross and his perfect death while he was on the cross, followed by his resurrection that proved he was the divine, the God-man, the man who said, I am God, God affirmed him, accepted that death in your place. He raises him. He says it is finished. And his life, brothers and sisters, is now yours. Now given to you the perfect obedience, the active obedience in following all the law, every detail, and then his passive obedience, dying on a cross, dying the death that you and I deserved, is now attributed to you. It's the glorious news of the gospel. Paul reminds us of this in Romans 8, verses 1 through 4. He says, there's therefore now no condemnation. Praise be to God. Because guess what? All of us deserve what? Condemnation. He goes on to say, this is for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. How? Well, he tells us, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. See, the law says we deserve death. All of our sins. The law says you sin, you offend your creator, you deserve to die. That's each and every one of us. That's what the law requires. Our sins have earned us death. It's the wages of sin. You get a wage for what you do. You earn something. We're all sinners, each and every one of us. But what do we get? We get mercy. We get love. We get grace. We get what we don't deserve. And on top of that, we're not just forgiven, we are given righteousness as well. Paul sums it up like this in 2 Corinthians 5.21 when he says, for our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin. So that, so that are important words. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Praise be to God. If you're a Christian, you stand forgiven today. Point blank, period. If you are not a Christian, you can be forgiven today. Repent and believe. Repent and believe by faith in Jesus Christ as your substitute. And all of these things, this will be given to you. Freedom from sin. Freedom from condemnation. Freedom from the wrath, eternal judgment that you deserve. 
See, the gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ died on a cross to set you free from your sins and make you right with God. Simple. Repent and believe. And then what you can do, what you get to do, is get active and involved in the fight to save lives and use your testimony to help encourage others not to make the same mistakes that you have. And then you point them to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the same gospel that saved you. My goal for the rest of our time is to provoke us all to action. Each and every person in here, especially the members of Christ's Covenant Fellowship. My prayer is that this church would be on the front lines in the fight to save the lives of the unborn. The title for this message is Passivity is Not an Option, a call to be involved in the fight to save lives. Passivity is not an option. And I've got a three-part framework, headings that I want to give to you that just help you to see where I'm going with this time. One, we're just going to look at real quick our current cultural landscape regarding abortion. So where we are, what it looks like. Ms. Susan shared some of the, the facts, but we're going to look at those. And then two, what we'll do is we'll look at, okay, so what does God have to say about abortion? What does God's word say about abortion? And then three, how should we now respond? See, we will hear God's word. We will see what our God has to say. And then there will be a call to action. We must respond accordingly. So let's look first at our current cultural landscape regarding abortion. So as Susan mentioned, since uh, June of 2022 when uh, Roe v. Wade was uh, overturned, a lot has happened that has helped the fight to save the lives of the unborn. I mean, there's, it's been great. There's a lot of lives have been saved because of this. But abortion is not illegal everywhere. As Susan mentioned, all this means is that it just goes back to the hands of the state. And if you follow the news at all, you know this is a hot topic in our, our, our society right now. And there's constant battles back and forth over uh, what legislation and bills will be passed. And certain peoples that are stopping bills, even they call themselves pro-life, that are putting the stop on bills. And the current laws in Virginia permit abortion for women that are up to 26 weeks and six days pregnant. So 26 weeks and six days. And that means that women who are about six months pregnant, a little over, can have an abortion. Now, if you've ever seen a woman who is six months pregnant, clearly there's something happening there. Think about that for a minute. At six months, a woman can have an abortion, can kill her child. And a man can encourage her to do so. In Virginia also, there. Last uh, law that I read 
uh, said that there isn't even a, a waiting period. It's not like cooling off period. You can, you can get an abortion at whenever. So if you want to kill your baby, well, go kill your baby as long as you're not over 26 weeks and six days pregnant. I mean, that is right here. It's here in Virginia. Recently, like I said, there have been bills that have aimed to lower that number, try to lower the number, the, the gestation process of when a woman can get an abortion. But let me just state, I personally am not satisfied with the bills that simply restrict abortion to earlier times of a pregnancy. I personally am in favor of abolishing abortion completely. I believe that is what God's word tells us to stand. That's the position that I believe God's word calls us to. God says murder is murder no matter how old the person is. We're going to look at that a little bit more in a few minutes here. But how do we get here? Like, why this law? Like, how are we at this point in our culture, in our society, where we say this is what we are? I mean, how do we get to such a deplorable state where people are given the right to murder their children up until a certain age? Well, there are a lot of things that could be said here, but I want to look at three of the most familiar arguments that abortion advocates use to justify their sinful deeds. You've probably heard most of these, and like I said, there are a lot of uh, different things that people say. I'm going to choose three. The first is that a fetus is not a real person, right? It's a clump of cells. It's, it's not a baby inside of me. From one website that is a pro-abortion website, it states that fetal viability is the point at which a fetus can survive outside a woman's body on its own. When Roe v. Wade was passed in 1973, that typically meant around 28 weeks. As technology advanced and could assist life outside the womb through new tools and techniques, most experts agree the point of viability has moved to somewhere around 23 and 24 weeks. So this ideology says that a baby does not have the right to live until a certain age because that baby cannot survive without the help of the mother. And before we even get to what the Bible says about that, I just want to point out the, just the, the ridiculous stupidity of that idea anyway. I have kids, and one of them just raised his hand. <laughs> Titus, our middle child, just turned four years old. And let me just tell you, there's a lot of things that he can do. But taking care of himself isn't one of them. He would be pretty pitiful if we stopped taking care of him. So according to that logic, you know the rest. The logic says that we should have the opportunity to dispose. Because he, he can't take care of himself, right? He, he can't, I mean, he needs us. So, like, it's really still my decision, right? It's a horrible argument. It's ridiculously just stupid. If an ability to survive is the metric we use for the right to live, and it has to apply beyond birth. 
has to apply. Number two, we see a lot, hear a lot, my body, my choice. All right? It's my body, my choice, and it, I get to decide what happens with my body. It's this idea that people should have full bodily autonomy to do whatever, whatever they want, whenever they want. We know that's foolish. We know that's not the reality of the world that we live in. From Planned Parenthood's own site, here's what they say. Sometimes the decision is simple. This is regarding abortion. Other times it's complicated. But either way, the decision to have an abortion is personal. And you're the only one who can make it. Think about that. I mean, that idea. You're the only one that gets to decide what's right for you. This idea of unlimited personal autonomy. I mean, this sinful ideology says, I am my own God. And, and I get to choose what happens in my kingdom. And you can't say anything about it. And the logical problem with this argument is that one does not take into consideration the other body that's within. I mean, what about their body, their choice, if that's your argument? It's hypocrisy at its finest. It's foolish. It's ridiculous. It's evil. Third, you often see this. Abortion is a normal part of reproductive health care. Just a normal part of how we decide when we want to reproduce. Once again, from Planned Parenthood's website, they say, everyone has their own unique and valid reasons for having an abortion. Some of the many different reasons people decide to end the pregnancy include, and here's Six of the things that they point out. One, they want to be the best parent possible to the kids they already have. So just kill their siblings. That's great logic there. Two, they're not ready to be a parent yet. Three, it's not a good time in their life to have a baby. The idea of just inconvenience, right? As Susan mentioned, I, I, and I tell couples that we counsel, and I mean, there's just never a right time for parenthood. It's hard, it's tough, it's work, especially if you want to do it the right way. Another thing they said is they want to finish school, they want to focus on work or achieve other goals before having a baby. Next, they're not in a relationship with someone they want to have a baby with. Well, probably shouldn't have engaged in the act to have a baby. And as Susan mentioned, dating apps are just, man, they are so dangerous. I mean, we, we have to protect our children, teens, young adults. Stay away from these vile things. Deplorable. Lastly, they state, they just don't want to be 
a parent. Just don't want to be a parent. I mean, do you see the flippancy here? Do you, fee- do you, do you feel, I, I hope you, you feel right now, the, like just something inside of you saying like, this is wrong. That is a wrong way of thinking about human life. I hope, I pray that it's weighing on you. I mean, it's careless. I mean, the idea that abortion is just birth control. You don't want to have a baby? Then kill the baby. It's fine. It's just normal. Everyone's doing it, so why not you? So what does God's word have to say about this? What does God's word have to say about even just these three simple ideas and arguments that are just so, just so flat out ignorant on their face from a logical perspective, even from a scientific perspective? We know that science has even shown all of that is false. What I'm going to do here is I'm going to give us three verses against each argument. I mean, there's, this is just scratching the surface here. There are dozens more. For time's sake, there's going to be three for each argument. One, someone says a, a fetus is not a real person, right, until a, a certain age. Genesis 1.27 tells us, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. So that's the baseline of the Imago Dei, right? Every person who is created. The second of fertilization bears the image of God. The moment, the moment, Psalm 139, 13, David writes and says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Has anyone see, seen anyone ever knit, maybe your grandmother, maybe uh, your uh, friend. Knitting is like come back, right? People, I saw somebody knitting recently and it's like, oh, it's cool you knit. Like, yeah. And I was like, that's awesome. You're like 16 and that's really cool that you're knitting. And so have you seen someone do this? I mean, the, the detail and precision that goes into this. I mean, the creativity that has to take place here. I mean, you, you take something and you form and you make something beautiful. The fabric that's woven together, the tapestry that makes its way, the human body, the DNA. The differences that we all have. I mean, God does this. It's not accident. David says, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. Jeremiah 1, 5. Jeremiah is being called to be a prophet. He says, God tells him, he says, before I formed you in the womb. Listen to that language. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. 
I mean, clearly we see there that God had intentionality with each and every person to which was ever formed in the womb. My body, my choice. Proverbs 24, 11. And listen, this, this passage right here is, is so formative for us. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. He says, rescue those who are being taken to death. Get involved. Do something. Don't stand back. Jeremiah 22, 3. Thus says the Lord, do justice and righteousness and deliver. See the activity here. Deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed. And do no wrong or violence to the resident alien, the fatherless, and the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. We get involved. You stop the hand of the oppressor. Proverbs 31, 8 through 9. Open your mouth for the mute. Who are the mute? The unborn. We open our mouth for them. He says, for the rights of all who were destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. Get involved. Number three, abortion is a normal part of reproductive health care. Genesis 9 Six contradicts that idea. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. There is nothing natural about murder. It is an offense to holy creator God. Exodus twenty thirteen. You shall not murder. Pretty simple. Matthew 5, 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. And what does Jesus go on to say there? I mean, he, he expands the law. He says, listen, none of you can fulfill any of it. Like, you know, yeah, don't murder, but even... Above and beyond, if you've done these things, you are considered a murderer in the eyes of the Lord. And you must have Christ. That's the point of that. We must have Christ. He's the only one who has not been a murderer. But clearly, we see in the New Testament. Also, want to add another one. I have four on this one. Romans 13, 8 through 10. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. And then Paul goes on and he says, for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Brothers and sisters, millions of our neighbors have been slaughtered. Will we stand up and show love to them? Will we? 
what will we do? I mean, God's word is clear on this issue. There's no debate over this in church history. Not from Orthodox Christians. This is something that we must be involved in. So how should we respond? Look over to James with me and I'm going to do just a quick survey real quick as we prepare to close our time here. And I first want you to look at, turn over just a, a page probably, and, or maybe not even have to turn, but look over at James 1, 19. I'm going to read through 26 real quick. And, and what I want us to see first is just James is, is calling his reader to action from, from the start. He's saying here, you, you've got you to take action in what's happening. We're going to read here in a moment what's going on when James writes uh, to this group. And, but I'll just go ahead and tell you, they are participating in the sin of partiality. We'll see here in a moment where they're, uh, they are putting forth and they're elevating those that have more status, more wealth, uh, more power, influence, those that are well off. And they're overlooking those that are not in that same status. And James says, God shows no partiality and neither can we. How does that relate to abortion? Because when we stay silent and we do nothing about the sin of abortion, we then engage in the sin of partiality. They're the weakest, most vulnerable members of humanity. Will we continue to just overlook them? James starts off here, he says in 19, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Verse 22, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. And then in 26, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and defiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows and their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Listen, I would even make the connection here that we can call those that are facing the slaughter, the unborn orphans. What is an orphan? It's someone who does not have parents who want them. We must be involved here. Look here at James 2. Just quickly, right? Like I said, it shows that the sin that they are participating in is the sin of partiality. If you look down in verse 2, he says, or actually verse 1, my brothers show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. And then he says, he gives some examples here. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and you pay attention to one who wears the fine clothing and say, hey, you sit here in a good place. While you say to the poor man, you stand over there. I mean, you see what's happening here? Do we see what's happening here? 
He says, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? He says that when we show partiality, that we have become evil. We judge in our thoughts. We elevate some over others. It goes on in verse 6, but you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? I mean, it's pretty clear. Verse 8, if you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin. And you are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. I mean, brothers and sisters... When we sit back and we allow this to continue without being active and getting involved, we are participating in the sin of partiality. There's no way around it. We must be involved. And then he goes on, and what we read earlier, right? Faith without works is dead. We say, I've been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. I have faith in God. I have felt and received the forgiveness of sin. I understand my wickedness, and I have confessed, and I have repented, and I follow Jesus. And then what? We're changed. God changes us. And the changed man lives different. Works are not the basis of our faith, but they are the result of our faith. We must have good works. We show ourselves as God's people by walking in the good works that were prepared for us before we were even created. Are you bearing fruit in your life right now? Are you living a life that is in accordance to the scriptures? In, in particular, as we look at this today, are you bearing fruit? Are you exercising good works in a very clear area of our day in the fight to save the lives of the unborn? Turn over to James 4, 7, or 4, 4 first. And we get a warning here. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. I mean, brothers and sisters, my fear is that the church has far too often desired friendship with the world rather than communion with the creator. We've given ourselves to the ideas of the world. This ideology that's been spewed for far too long. We've got to get involved. We must take action. Going down in verse 17 of chapter 4, James says, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, 
What does it say there? For him, it is sin. Church, look at me. If we know what God calls us to do and we fail to do it, it is sin. That's just what the text says. I don't need to add much commentary to that. We know what God says. What are we going to do? We know the right thing to do. Now, what do we do with this knowledge? How do we act? How do we respond? I'm going to give you some practical applications as we close. One, we must all repent. We all need to repent, myself included. We need to repent of our apathy, our indifference, the the lack of care. If you've participated and you haven't repented, repent today. It's forgiveness in Jesus. It's forgiveness in the name of Jesus Christ. But brothers and sisters, we must all repent. We must recognize where we have ignored the clear commands of Scripture to rescue those from the slaughter. Second, we must pray. Pastor Brandon mentioned that earlier. Susan mentioned it. We got to pray. We must be a people of prayer. Brothers and sisters, if you have no other New Year's resolutions, goals, resolves, whatever you want to call them, I'll give you one. Pray more. Pray. Pray. We must pray for the Blue Ridge Pregnancy Center. We must pray for the lives of those that have been affected by abortion. We must pray for their repentance, their conversion. We must pray for those considering the sin of abortion. We must pray for legislation to be passed to abolish abortion. We must pray for these things. We must pray for those that are post-abortive and show support for them, pointing them to the gospel of Jesus Christ, surrounding post-abortive men and women as a church, getting involved, being active, Pray, brothers and sisters. But while we pray, we must remember the great reformer Martin Luther didn't just pray. His faith produced action by lighting the fire that started the Protestant Reformation. The great missionary to China, Hudson Taylor, he didn't just pray. His faith took action as he took the gospel to the Chinese people and stayed there for almost 50 years. Harriet Tubman, a woman who uh, risked her life to develop the Underground Railroad and help to free slaves from slavery, didn't just pray. What did she do? She got active. And her faith took action. She risked her own life for those that needed help. So, brothers and sisters, we must be active. This is application for everyone. We must be active. 
must be active. I mean, there's a lot of ways to get involved. Uh, Adoption is one. I mean, I I would love to see this congregation just full of babies that were saved. They were given life because the mom that was faced with an unplanned pregnancy, that was scared to death, had no idea what she was going to do, knew that there were a loving church. Within that loving church, there was a loving family that would take their baby and care for it and love, provide. And then also supporting her. I mean, that's what we need to be. And listen, man, it takes moving things around in your life. It takes making changes. We also must be people that share the gospel at abortion clinics. And there's two in Roanoke. There's two in Charlottesville. I mean, there's ways that we can get involved there and do it tastefully even. We help to point people maybe on the way to abortion mills, and and we say, there's hope. There's another option. There's another option. Another way we all get involved is we all have money. A little bit at least. You have some. I mean, just think about if 50, I'm no mathematician, but I know a little bit, 50 families, individuals, just dedicated 10 bucks a month. That's $500. It's $500 more in the Blue Ridge Pregnancy Center's account and their budget that they can use to help save the lives of the unborn. 10 bucks a month. Grab a baby bottle. Fill it up. Five, tens, twenties, checks, hundreds. They still make those. I haven't seen one in a while. We all have something to give. Maybe it's, you, you know, one meal a week that you're, you, you skip out on. You don't eat out and you, you pack your lunch in order to just help and, and get involved. I mean, that's the power of the church working together, right? If everyone works together and gives a little, then we can give a lot. Two, we all have time. Same way you have a certain amount of money you have to budget, you have a certain amount of time you have to budget. You're going to be held accountable for it, and I am too. We have to steward what God gives us, and he's given us a certain amount of time. So how will you use it? What do you spend your time doing? I mean, do you fill yourself with just endless recreation, endless mindless activities, watching uh, whatever your favorite show, binge watching this, that, or the other, social media, I mean, whatever. I mean, it could even be uh, being uh, just full-on, just wanting more theology even, right? I mean, sometimes I heard a pastor once say, we have to put the Bible down to go do what the Bible tells us to do. How do you spend your time? How do you budget the hours of your day? And I bet most of you in here, if you looked at your calendar and the way you spend your time, you would find pockets in your life that you could serve at pregnancy centers. You could even just dedicating time to pray. Plenty of ways to be involved, but how will you use your time? It's a powerful testimony that I'm going to read and close with who, from a man who was present during the Holocaust. It's been shared many times. Maybe you've heard it before, but I want to just read it for you as we end. He writes, I lived in Germany During the Nazi Holocaust, I considered myself a Christian. We heard stories of what was happening to Jews, but we tried to distance ourselves from it because what could we do to stop it? 
A railroad track ran behind our small church, and each Sunday morning we could hear the whistle in the distance and then the wheels coming over the tracks. We became disturbed when we heard the cries coming from the train as it passed by. We realized that it was carrying Jews like cattle in the cars. He goes on. He says, week after week, the whistle would blow. We dreaded to hear the sound of those wheels because we knew that we would hear the cries of the Jews en route to a death camp. Their screams tormented us. We knew the time the train was coming, and when we heard the whistle blow, we began singing hymns. By the time the train came past our church, we were singing at the top of our voices. If we heard the screams, we sang more loudly, and soon we heard them no more. Although years have passed, I still hear the train whistle in my sleep. God, forgive me. God, forgive all of us who called ourselves Christians and yet did nothing to intervene. Brothers and sisters, how will you intervene? The lives of those that are being taken to the slaughter. You just sing louder. Just turn your eyes, try to ignore what's happening in our country, in the world, how will you get involved? I'm going to leave us with that thought. Give us just one, two minutes to just respond and pray. Do business with the Lord right now. Talk to God. Ask him to help you to change your heart, to reveal ways that you can adjust your life to ensure that you are not practicing the sin of partiality in the lives of the unborn. I'll give you a moment to reflect, and then I will pray and invite the band to close us with a song.